As a church, we are journeying through the whole Bible together over two years, and we have reached the book of Romans in the New Testament. And what an amazing talk uh, that Glennis gave us last week, just about God's grace and about how it's all about him, uh, and just not about us achieving anything, but about what he has achieved. Love that. Such an amazing message. Um, And this week, um, we are still in the book of Romans. And I'm going to read from Romans chapter 12. There's a really, really well-known verse, or two verses, right at the start of Romans chapter 12 that I want to read, and then I'm going to go right back to Romans 1. (laughs) Um, And I'm going to do a bit of a flyover through Romans to explain how Paul gets to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and what he then means by that, and what he's calling us into I think Romans is one of the most incredible letters or books in the Bible, but it is so theologically dense. There is so much going on, Um, and sometimes it's easy to read it and think, what on earth is that? And so my hope today is to take some of that stuff and just to make it really simple and to unpack that, and hopefully to give you a little bit um, of an overview and insight into the journey of Romans and what Paul is trying to say to the church and what he's calling us and inviting us into and just how amazing that is. So let's read Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 and then I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump in. So here we go. Therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God this is your true and proper worship do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good pleasing and perfect will. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this letter that Paul has written to the church in Rome. Thank you for Paul's passion for you. Thank you for the revelation of you that you have given to Paul and just his burning desire to share that with the church and with the world. God, I pray that today, as we read through some of this stuff, that you would pour out your spirit and that you would reveal to us also some of that revelation, that you would open up to us the things that you opened up to Paul as we read through some of the words that Paul shares. Invite us in, God. We know, we know, like Glennis said last week, there is so much more to be found in you. So God, this week we pray, draw us into that. Meet us where we're at and draw us into yourself. Reveal more of yourself to us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Great. Okay, so we were reading that there, weren't we? Therefore, brothers and sisters, I urge you in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your good and proper act of worship. And then you will be able to know. God's good and perfect will. I missed out that bit as well, didn't I? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's so much there going on. Paul's saying, in light of everything that I've shared with you about the mercy of God, I'm calling you to do something, to offer your body. That means to give everything, to be a living sacrifice, to crawl up on the altar and to lay there and to give all of yourself 
over to God, over to his way. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't engage with, don't live out, don't um, plan your life around the ways of this world. Instead, be transformed. Let your mind be completely renewed the way that you even think. Let it be transformed so that you live his way and that you, that you honor him. That. And when you do that, you can come near to him and you will know his will. You will have that intimacy with him. You'll have that. Jesus says, doesn't he? I don't call you servants. I call you friends. And I've shared with you my heart and the will of my father. Come into that place. Paul's inviting us into that so much more of God. But the question is, why would we go there? Why would we step into all of that? Why? Why would we crawl upon the altar and give up everything of ourselves? Last week, Glennis said, uh, she talked about how uh, we need to um, just surrender everything. Everything. We give it all up. We lay it all down. And we give it over to him because it's all about him. Why would we give up everything? Why would we lay down everything? Why would we do that? Well, Paul says it's because, because of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. What does that even mean? Well, this really well-known passage starts with that word, therefore. And that means, because of everything that I have told you so far about the mercy of God, now do this. So I want to backtrack and go all the way back to Romans 1. And I want to do a little fly through about the therefore. What is it that Paul has said that would cause us to lay down our whole lives and be transformed into something else and to live for God? So let's jump back. Let's go. Romans chapter one. Um, I'm not going to go through all of Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one starts off by Paul introducing himself, saying, hey, I'm writing to you guys in Rome. Um, and and he's, he's just kind of doing a little bit of that and saying he longs to kind of be with them. He says that, you know, he has this passion for the gospel and why he has that. And then he gets to this bit. I want to read this. Romans one verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Verse 19, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Um, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Basically, Paul starts off here by saying, everybody knows there is a God. God has made it really clear, really plain, really simple. It is obvious to all human beings. And you think, okay, Paul, well, maybe at a time in history when you lived, when everybody believed in the gods, it was obvious that there was a God. It was obvious that gods existed because that's what people thought. But we are enlightened and we live in the 21st century and we have science and not everybody believes there is a God. And it is not obvious to everybody that there is a God. But you know what? Science itself has disproved that. Science itself has said differently to that. I was doing a little bit of research this week and blown away by this. That there's not one, not two, not three. There are a number, a number of scientific studies done by people from Oxford University and various universities in the States and by real academic people who are studied, who are learned. Scientists have done studies and 
these numerous studies have all concluded the same thing. That the human brain, that humanity, is hardwired, and I'm quoting here, okay? Humanity is hardwired to believe in God and in the eternal. That's science telling us that at our core, our brains are hardwired to believe in God and to believe in the eternal. The Bible puts it like this. This is Ecclesiastes from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11. It says that God has set eternity in the hearts of mankind. God has placed the eternal in the hearts of mankind. And I love this because in the biblical times, to talk about the heart was to talk about the brain. To talk about the heart was to talk about the control center of the human body. This wasn't just talking about emotion and feeling. It wasn't simply talking about a muscle that pumped blood around the body. The language of the heart in the Hebrew scriptures is the language of the decision-making center of the human being. So to say that God has placed eternity into the heart, into the decision center of mankind, is to say what modern scientists are just catching up and saying, which is that human beings are hardwired to believe in God and to believe in the eternal. That's, that's what it means to be human. God has put that in us. So then Paul goes on and we get these um, verses. Let's just keep reading Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. For although they knew God, okay, so, so we've got this language, haven't we? They knew it was hardwired in their brains. They knew, okay, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts, you notice that language there? Their thinking and their hearts because in the Hebrew scriptures, that's where the thinking happened, okay? The center, the decision-making process. Their thinking became futile and their hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. I love this. You remember um, that I got really passionate about the word yada, okay? And I've brought it up many, many, many times. It means to know, but it means more than to know about. It means to have deep, intimate knowledge, to be intimately connected with, to know at a deep level, okay? And it's the word that is used in the Old Testament when God says, this is, this is what my people are doing wrong. All the way through the Bible, this is where they're failing. They don't yada me. They don't know me instantly. They know about me. They don't know me. And here's the thing. In Romans 1, 21 to 23, uh, jump down to, to Romans 1, verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. Okay, so again, we've got this idea about knowledge there that people have exchanged. They've given up the knowledge of God. They've disconnected themselves with what is deeply embedded in what it means to be human, the knowledge of God. Um, and in chapter 3, verse 10 to 12, it says this, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. There's no one who understands. You see, we get this language about knowledge, about understanding. 
And, and what I love about this is that the word in Greek that is used here for to know uh, is the same Greek word that is used in the Septuagint to translate the word yada. So in case you don't know what I'm talking about, the Hebrew scriptures were written in Hebrew. And then the New Testament is written in Greek. And at the time of Jesus, most people read Greek. That's the language because the Greeks had invaded Israel before the Romans. So you've got the Greco-Roman culture okay, in Israel at that time. And so the copy of the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus would have read was a Greek translation of the Hebrew, the Septuagint. And so where yada appears, this word for knowledge and to know is the Greek word that is used. And so what Paul was saying here is this. They have given up the yada. They knew it on a deep level. Human beings are built to know God intimately. God has placed eternity in us. But they exchanged it. They gave up the knowledge of God, the glory of God, and exchanged it for other things. Um, I want to say this to you, church. This is sin. This is what sin is. We get caught up a lot on this word sin about being, um, being about actions and what we do and what we don't do and what we get right and what we get wrong. If we get it wrong, that's sin. But I just want to say this to you. That's not sin. That's transgression. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Sin is not an act. It is a state of being. Okay, sin is when we miss the mark of being fully alive human beings. Well, what does it mean to be a fully alive human being? It means to know God. We were made in his image. We were made to have intimate yada, knowledge of God. He built that into us. He placed the eternal in our hearts. We were made to bear his image, which means we were made to know him, to be deeply connected to him. And to bring the knowledge of him, his rule and reign, to the world. That's the Genesis 1, 2 story. That's what that's about. But what happened there in Genesis 1 and 2 is they said, no, we're going to do this our way. And they went to the, they took the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, so they disconnected from the knowledge of God and chose their own knowledge. That's what Paul's talking about here. That's sin. When we choose to, to engage in our own way of doing stuff, not God's way. When we disconnect from the knowledge of God. And, and, and so um, in Romans 14, verse 23, the last line of that verse says this. Everything, everything, not just the bad things, okay? Everything that does not come from faith... What is faith? Faith is to be persuaded, pistis, to be persuaded, to to understand and be convinced in your mind of who God is. The knowledge of God. Faith, putting your trust in that knowledge. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. That's what the Bible says. That's what Paul says here. Because sin is a state of being where we have disconnected ourselves from the knowledge of God. That's what it is. It's not about good and bad, right and wrong. You you see, you can do what human beings judge to be good from a place that is not of faith, but is of flesh, is of myself. And it looks good. But if it's not a place of faith, it's not a place where we're connected to God, then we are outside of the will of God. And that is the state of sin. Okay, so let's just take a really good example here. Let's say that um, we're going to... we're going to fight for and protest for human rights, a human rights issue. Okay, that's a good thing, right? We want to stand up for human rights. 
But if it's not done from the place of faith, it's done from the place of flesh, then it's sin. You see, if you're walking away from God, it doesn't matter what good deed you're doing, you're doing a good deed away from life towards death. Because all sin leads to death, because sin is outside of God, and God is life. God is love. God is hope. God is joy. God is peace. Everything outside of him is not. So even if you're doing good stuff that way, it's moving you away from God. If I'm fighting for a human rights issue, but it isn't because of what God has put in me, it isn't because of what he believes about humanity, about, what they've made, about how he made them in his image, it's about what I think or about how I want to be treated or about how I believe that people should be treated because I feel that I've been hard done by in a certain area. And so I'm going to fight for this because that gives justice to what I feel. And that's pride. That's sin. That's about me and about my image and about my flesh and about what I want to see and not about him. And then the human rights issue, humanity, becomes my God. And that's what Paul says here, doesn't he? He says, they exchange the glory of the immortal God. This is verse 23. For images made to look like mortal human beings. That's what that is. That's what that is. What is the impact of that? What is the impact of sin in our lives? The impact of living outside of the will of God. Well, he goes on, and I'm not going to read all of this, but from verse 24 all the way down to verse 32, you can read the impact of that. And what Paul talks about there is is distorted and broken human uh, image, uh, the image of God in humanity. The result of sin, when we move outside of the will of God, what happens is our image as human beings, as bearers of the image of God, becomes distorted and broken. Our relationships become distorted and broken. Um, Our identity becomes distorted and broken. Our behaviors become distorted and broken. That's what happens when we live in sin, when we live disconnected from God. That's what happens. So let me just talk briefly about this word transgression and how that's different to sin, okay? Um, Turn with me to uh, chapter 4, verse 17, no, verse 15. Uh, It says, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. It uses this word transgression. And transgression is not specifically sin. The word transgression literally means to break something, okay? To transgress is to break. And so where there is no law, there is no transgression. Where there is no law, nothing can be broken. But jump down. So you might say, well, if there's no law, then there's no sin. But they're different things. Jump down with me to chapter 5, verse 13. It says this. To be sure, to be absolutely sure, okay? To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. Sin was in the world before the law was given. So without the law, there's no transgression. But sin was here before the law was given. Sin was here before the law was given. Sin is is this state of choosing not to trust in God. It's this state of choosing to disconnect from the knowledge of God, the yada, the eternal that God has placed in us, and to become less than human. It's to become less than connected to God and all that he made us to be. The law is something else. And when we do, the law is when we do right and wrong, okay? We give this law, or you've broken that, you've transgressed it, you've done wrong. Well, what's the point in the law? Why does Paul say the law exists? Turn with me to uh, chapter 3, 
verse 20. He says this, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. What was the purpose of the law? The law was to wake us up to just how distorted and broken our humanity had become. You see, God made us in his image. He put eternity in our hearts that we might fully be alive and live and know him. And we chose to reject the knowledge of God. We chose sin. We chose our own way. And, and sin leads to death. So what did God do? By his grace, he gave us the law. Why? To show us that, that, that we have gone so far and that we are broken. What does the law do? What is the purpose of the law? The law is like a fence around humanity. And when we reach it and we break through it, we realize we've stepped out beyond what it means to be human into what the Bible calls evil or what the Bible refers to as death. You see, the law was there to show up just how broken humanity had become so that we might see it and weep and turn back to him and say, look how far we've come. Look how fallen we have come. How far we have fallen. Look how broken we are. We need you again, God. We need you again. The law was an act of grace. So who's Paul talking to? Who is Paul talking to? Who's he saying, hey, you've sinned. You've chosen to abandon the knowledge of God and live your own way. And the law shows you just how far you have fallen and how broken you are. Who's he talking to? Well, chapter 2, verse 1. The first line says, you, you therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. You also break the law. Paul is saying, who's the you? Back to chapter 1, verse 7. It says this. Paul's writing to, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Who's the you? The church. I'm writing to you, the believers. I want you to know this. This is us. It's all of us. Chapter 1 talks about pagan practices and the things that were going on in the world there. Paul was talking to the Gentiles, to the pagans. Chapter 2, he goes on and he starts talking to the Jews. You, you read through uh, verse 17 onwards, you see he's talking about the Jews. Chapter 3, we get to that bit where it says, there is no one who is righteous, not even one, no one who understands. He's saying everyone. One, those outside of the Jewish nation, the Gentiles, the pagans. Two, the Jews. Three, let me sum that up. Everyone, all of humanity is in this state. We are all broken. Our humanity is distorted. Um, chapter 3, verse 23 says this. Um, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, all of us, we are born knowing that we were made to know God. That's what it means for us to be fully alive, to know God. And yet, day after day after day, we choose to reject him. We choose to live our way, to define good and evil for ourselves. We choose to take the fruit of the knowledge, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and not to trust in the knowledge of him, to trust in his way. And we reject him, and we reject his way. That is the state of sin. Why is the law there? The law is there. To show us how far we have gone, how far we have fallen, and how much we have transgressed. We have broken what it means to be human.
That's why the law is there. That's why we can't change this law. So many people today want to rewrite the Bible and change it. Oh, well, maybe it didn't mean this, or maybe in our context we should rewrite it like this. No, we cannot do that because this is God has given this to all of humanity to show us how far we've gone. It hurts, doesn't it, to be told you're wrong? It hurts uh, to, to, to be told that you're broken. It hurts us, it wounds us, it affects us. But, but that's God's grace. That's God's grace. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his grace. It's mercy. God has given us this so that we might know how far we have gone and fallen, how broken we are, how sin is affecting us and pushing us away from God so that we might see it and go, we need him. We need him. We need him. That's what that is about. All of us are doomed to death. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Have you ever, um, have you ever felt anger or bitterness? Have you ever uh, felt resentful or hurt or broken? Yeah. Have you ever felt greed or pride or selfishness? All of those things are not of God. They are things that come into our lives because sin has pushed us away from God. And another knowledge is shaping who we are. If you've ever felt that, and I bet that you have, I know I have, if you've ever felt that, then I'm going to be real with you because the Bible is wanting to be real with you, because God is wanting to be real with you. He's wanting to be real with me. If you've ever felt any of that, then you have sinned. You have exchanged the glory of God for something else. You've disconnected from the knowledge of the eternal, the knowledge of God, the yada that he wants you to have. And you have started to build upon something else. And that something else always, always, always leads to death. Always. But there is good news. There is good news. And the, the story, the, the, the narrative of Romans takes a turn. So turn with me to Romans chapter 5. And let's just read verse 8 together. It says this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. You know, sin always leads to death. Why? Because sin is the movement away from God. And the law shows us how far we have moved away from God in the hope that we might turn back to him. But it always moves away from God and God is life. And outside of God is death. It is only by the grace of God that you and I are breathing today. Only by the grace of God that we're breathing today. Only when we are in him do we fully live. And there's going to come a point when he's going to come again. And he's going to make heaven and earth new again. And he's going to judge the living and the dead. And those in him will carry on living. Those who aren't in him will not. That's the truth. That's the truth. There is only life in him. And we only experience that today because of his grace. But Jesus has died for us. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? Why is that good news? Why is that gospel, as Paul calls it? I want to pull out a couple of verses just to show you why Jesus dying for us is amazing. Okay, so um, uh, let's look at uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 24. Let's look 23 to, to 24. 22 to 24. Let's read that together. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Therefore, 
there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. What is Paul saying? When you put your faith in him, when you believe in him, all who believe in Jesus can have access to this. What is it? Well, it is this. It is redemption and justification. All are justified. My sin, my, my sin has made me unclean. It has made me unpure. It has made me dirty. It has broken the human image in me. I have nothing to stand on anymore. But Jesus went fully into my brokenness and then rose to life. And he, he raises us to life. He brings us. He justifies us. In him, we are justified. We're put back together. We're made whole. Um, redeemed. We are redeemed. It says through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. He redeems us. He takes us from where we are and he buys us back. He redeems us. He paid the price so that we did not have to die. When we put our hope in him, we can live because he's paid the price. Romans 1.16, right at the beginning, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. What does that mean, salvation? Salvation has the same root word as the word to salvage. You see, the, the power of God, the good news of Jesus, it salvages us. It re- rescues us. It, it takes the broken kind of, the broken human that we are, and it salvages. It puts back together. It brings us back to him. It restores us to him it restores us to him um romans 4 17 says this uh, the last part of verse 17 the god who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not you see through jesus god brings us back from the dead and through jesus he brings into being things that were not So if you're lacking love, if you're lacking joy, if you're lacking peace, if you're lacking hope, if you're lacking goodness, if you're lacking kindness, if you are lacking life, he brings into being the things that are not. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? Romans 5 uh, verse 1 says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. You, you know, when we chose not to follow him, when we chose to disconnect from the knowledge of who he was, we weren't at peace with him. We were at war with him. We were at odds with him. But through Jesus, we can have peace with God again. Shalom. Deep, deep peace. We can know that we're right with him again. I love that. Um, verse 11 of chapter 5 says not only is this so but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation what does that mean it means yeah we have that peace because we have been reconciled restored we've been brought back together in relationship with God all that was lost has been reconciled restored we have been put back together with him Um, chapter 5 Verse 18 says, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act, the the death of Jesus on the cross, resulted in justification and life for all people. There is life and there is no more condemnation. Chapter 8, verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. You are not condemned if you put your faith in Jesus. If you trust in what he did, that will carry you through. It will bring you to life. Chapter 6, 
uh, verses uh, 6 and 7, they say this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. Sin no longer has to dictate that your life is moving away from God. But now you can be brought back near to God. You're not captive to that anymore, but free from it. Uh, Verse 8 to 10. Let's keep reading chapter 6, verse 8 to 10. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Do you know what? When we die to ourselves, when we die with Christ... We are also raised up with Christ. Our sin is crucified and we are brought into life. We are brought into life. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? One more for you before we move on from this. But chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the, uh, the, the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Just look, look at those words, okay? We've got here these words. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey. You've come into something new. You've come into a new way of being obey. You have, you have become bound to something. You have been reconnected to something, right? From your heart. Well, what did we say the heart was in the Hebrew um, scriptures and way of thinking about things? The mind, the consciousness, the the decision-making thing. Oh, your mind has been reconnected to something. What? The pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. What's he saying here? Your mind has been reconnected to the pattern of teaching, to the knowledge, to the yada, to God. You were made You were predisposed to believe, to know, to trust, to put your faith in, to have relationship with God. Human beings were made to know him. That's what faith is about. Trusting in that. Trusting in what he has put in us. And through Jesus, all of that can be restored. All of that can be connected again. Chapter 8 talks about how we're free in Jesus. It talks about the hope that we have in him. Um, And I just want to pick up on that we're just talking about. Let's read together verses um, 5 to 7. They say this, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. So those whose minds have given up the yada, the knowledge of God, are now living according to the flesh, to their own way, to what their body wants, to what the world wants. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds connected again to what we were always meant to, to God. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of flesh cannot please God. When we choose not 
to be connected to God. We live in line with the flesh, and the flesh always leads to death. Flesh rots and decays, but the spirit renews and brings life. The spirit renews and brings life. That's why when Adam and Eve left the garden, death entered the world, because they left the presence of God, and it's the presence of God that sustains life. When we live disconnected from God, we live in a state of constantly dying. But there is hope. Verse 10, let's read this together, verse 10 to 14. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Yeah, let's keep reading verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. What's he saying? Let me just recap all of this really briefly, okay? All human beings have sinned. We were made to know God, to live in faith, to live in righteousness, relationship with him. But we chose the knowledge of something else and we disconnected. We exchanged the knowledge of the glory of God, the yada. We exchanged it for something else. What did that lead to? It led to death. It led to a broken and distorted image of humanity, of God in humanity. It led to broken and distorted relationships. It led to broken and distorted patterns of living, to habits and ways of life all of that stuff and all of that leads to death well what did God do he gave the law why not to make you feel bad but because it's his kindness that leads us to repentance he gave us the law to show us how far sin had moved us away from him he gave us the law to show us how broken we had become how distorted his perfect good loving wholesome image in us had become He gave us the law to show us how broken, how fallen we were, that we might turn back to him. And then what did he do? He gave us Jesus. He gave us Jesus. And Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. Jesus lived as the perfect human being. And then he died in our place so that we could be restored to God. The death that we deserved, Jesus died so that we wouldn't need to die that death, so that our sin could die with him, but we could be raised up with him into life, so that we could know peace with God, so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could become fully alive human beings again. That's what he did. That's what he did. That's the hope that we have. That's the mercy of God. You know, mercy means when we don't get what we do deserve. What do we deserve? We chose to live apart from God. We deserve death. We deserve all that we wanted, which was to live apart from God. God is life. But God doesn't give us what we deserve. By his grace, when he gives us that which we don't deserve, he invites us back in. He doesn't give us death, but through Jesus offers us life and hope. That's the mercy and the grace of God. That's why Paul gets to Romans 12. And he says this, therefore, I urge you, listen, please, I am begging you, I am urging you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, 
Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Put your whole life on the altar. Lay it all down. Give up everything that you have been living for. All those desires, all that stuff that you're holding on to, all those rights that you think you have, lay it all down because all of that is going to lead you to death. All of that is going to lead you to death. So, so crucify it now. Kill it now. Put it on the altar. Get on the altar. Join Jesus so that it might die and you might have life. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Worship um, comes from well, this Old Testament concept, uh, which Corban is this Hebrew word, which we translate as sacrifice and worship. It literally means to draw near to God. This is how you draw near to God again. That's what Paul was saying. Put your whole life on the altar. Lay everything down because he has done that for you. And you trust him. He will bring you through this to life. This is your true and proper worship. This is how you connect with God again. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, then you'll be able to know God's good and pleasing will. Then you'll be able to know him, to yada him. When your mind is transformed, when your mind is reconnected, join your life to the life of Jesus so that your sin may be joined to the death of Jesus, so that you may be raised up into life with Jesus, free from sin, that your mind might be renewed and that you might be reconnected with God and hope and goodness and joy and peace and life. That's what Paul's saying. That's what the book of Romans is all about. It is incredible. It is incredible. I, I, I want to apologize. I feel like I have waffled my way through this. I, I can't do justice to what Paul is saying. I hope that what I have shared with you today has taken what are some deeply theological uh, concepts and made them as simple as I can for you. That is what Paul is, is burning on his heart. He wants the church to know Jesus. He wants the world to know Jesus. We need to recognize that we are sinful. We need to recognize that we have, have abandoned God. We do it every day. I, I, I guarantee, I know I do. I guarantee you probably do as well. I'm sorry if that offends you, <laughs> but it's true. There are moments in our days where we don't choose God and the knowledge of God and the yada of God and his way. We choose our own way. We choose our own good and evil. We choose our own knowledge and we disconnect. Every day we exchange his glory. We exchange the glory of the immortal, eternal God. We exchange his glory for something else, for the things of our own flesh. And those things, they are dragging us into death. And Paul was saying, don't die. Do you want to live? Do you want to live? Well, God has made a way for you to live. Choose Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus. Put your hope and your faith in Jesus. Put your whole body on your whole self, your whole life on the altar. Connect yourself to Jesus in his death so that you might be connected to him in his resurrection and be restored to God. We can come boldly before him when we put our faith in Jesus. How amazing is that? Church, I pray that 
out of all that I have waffled through today, that you grasp that. I pray that his spirit is speaking that to you. And I pray that today you choose life. I pray that today you choose hope. I pray that today you choose the one true living God. And that you reconnect to him. That you lay everything else down. And that you put your hope and your faith in him. Come boldly to him. We can have confidence that Jesus has done it. And we can be restored to our father.